0: Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamo Gordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. We may not come from a Southern Baptist background, um, but that's how we work. We work in cooperation with each other. We have something we call the Cooperative Program. And so um, when we heard that Kyle was going to be going to Orange, Texas to work with um, our association's uh, disaster relief team and the laundry trailer. Uh, he and I got together and he asked me to, to share and to preach uh, for him this morning. Um, I really enjoy Kyle. I've gotten to know him pretty well. It's been a real pleasure to work with him. He and I are only a couple months apart in age. I know what you're thinking. You're, you're looking at me saying, well, you look far younger than him <laughs> and far more good looking. It's the hair. See, the only thing I've got on Kyle is the hair. Uh, he is a great guy. And he, he didn't ask me to say this or anything, but would you be praying for, for Kyle? Be praying for him as your pastor? Um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Just throwing it out there. And October 8th is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And so um, you pray about how you can show your appreciation, affirmation of his calling here. Um, at First Baptist. Uh, my name is John. If you if you don't know me, I, it's good to see so many familiar faces. Um, we were here a few months back. Uh, we got the opportunity with our students uh, to lead worship here. Um, and many of you, uh, it just it kind of looks like a whole different congregation, and that's that's great. Uh, uh, God's doing some great things here. Um, I'm at Bethel Baptist Church up the street. I was just texting uh with Kyle right before the service started. And he wanted to make sure that I invited you to Bethel next week. Just, no. He does want me to encourage you to come back next week, especially if you're a first-time guest. Um, He would love the opportunity to meet you, um, and he'll be back next Sunday. Um, It's so funny the way churches work and the way maybe Baptist churches work specifically. Uh, I I was coming in even this morning and had an opportunity to talk to someone and I said, yeah, I'm from Bethel just up the street. He goes, oh, the enemy. And and that's, you know, that's too often the way we think of uh, churches is in competition, but you know what? Um, I've been doing ministry now for 16 some odd years. I've been here in Alamogordo for seven years and it's time to stop that squabbling. We're all pulling the rope in the same direction. We're all on the same team, and we don't have time, for the time is short, Romans 13, and we are nearer now to the return of Jesus Christ than ever before. And sorry to break it to you, but you're nearer to death than you've ever been before. And so we don't have time for this needless, meaningless squabbles uh, between churches and, I I don't know, uh, but even within the church. Like, we don't have time for that. Uh, We need to put aside our personal preferences. We need to put aside uh, the things that that hinder us. And we need to kind of focus our eyes on the cross and the mission of the cross, which is to go out into this increasingly dark world being light and to be salt in an otherwise flavorless world around us. That is the call of First Baptist Church. That is the call of Bethel Baptist Church. It's the call of every Bible-believing church. And and I truly believe that that if we did that as churches here in Alamogordo, we would see revival happen. And that is our prayer. That is our sincere desire. Um, I am excited for what Kyle is doing here at First Baptist. It is great to partner up with him. Um, In our state, there's 300-some-odd churches, Southern Baptist churches in the Baptist Convention of New Mexico... And you have a really great thing going on lately. Um, Like I said, I've been here for just over seven years. And uh, in August, we had an opportunity to to do a minister's family retreat. Praise God that that every few years, all the pastors in New Mexico get an opportunity to be blessed and to just spend some time together. Uh, Kyle and I and and my wife Amanda and Michelle got to, to spend a lot of time together at that And something going on in our state, which is just beautiful, is you have a lot of our older pastors and our senior adults who are pouring into a a groundswell of younger pastors. Um, It's really neat looking out there at 300-some-odd pastors, and you see a lot of guys my age. I just turned 34. um, And you see a lot of guys who are older who are pouring into those pastors. Um, At our church up the street at Bethel, we've been in a pastor search um, for about a year and a half now. And uh, Pastor Billy Tucker, many of you know him. Um, He's been in in this uh, association for quite a while, used to pastor up at Trinity in high roles. Uh, He has come kind of as a a transition pastor. And and I'll tell you what, I have learned so much under him. He kind of strikes you sometimes as this Uh, Oh, gee, oh, shucks, country bumpkin. If you know anything about Billy, uh, he is one of the sharpest and wisest men you'll ever come across. And Billy does something, and and maybe he just sees something in me, or he just wants to invest into me, but Billy will impart wisdom in subtle ways. He's not heavy-handed. He's not forceful. He doesn't say, John, you're a fool, even though that's sometimes the, the truth. He just might say, hey, have you thought about this? Or, hey, I, I was just, you know, going through the scripture and I saw this. I thought you might like it. And he just imparts wisdom like that. As Pastor Kyle has been doing this study in the book of 1 John, he asked that I continue it so uh, he can stay on schedule with that. And, and so that wasn't a joke. <laughs> he, he is very... Um, OCD about things like that and so uh, Have I told you guys how much I really like Kyle? I just wanted to get that across Um, And so I'm sure that if he was preaching in my state, he'd be saying the same thing Um, So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to continue on in the study in 1 John And we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. So you can turn there with me if if you like I want you to remember that uh, throughout 1 John Um, John, who earlier in his ministry when he is called out of the boat by Jesus, he is described as a son of thunder. Um, He was pretty aggressive and abrasive. He oftentimes, um, he he would speak with with much aggression and uh, sometimes condemnation toward people. Um, He's a son of Zebedee and and many times... um, he, he would be in like a competition with other disciples. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, he wouldn't even say, this is John writing. He'd say, uh, this is the one that Jesus really loves. This, look at me, John. Um, but then what you see, as the, the last remaining disciple, as he gets older, he gets exiled. Remember, all the persecution is happening throughout the book of Acts. And and you see many of these original disciples who are killed for their following Jesus Christ and preaching and proclaiming his name. And John is not killed, he is exiled. So here he is on an island by himself, and he starts to write these epistles, these letters. And this son of thunder, who was very aggressive and, and confrontational, is now an older gentleman who wants to write and impart wisdom. Onto the next generation of believers, and, and he does so in the. Now, First John, it, 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 you guys have been studying it. It's not a book where um, it, it's kind of cloudy in its presentation. It's very straightforward, but he comes at it with such compassion and love for a younger generation. So, so in the chapter two, at the beginning, he says, "My little children." And we're going to see this again. He says, I am writing these things so that you, may, that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, he says, my little children, beloved. These, these words, actually, as we get into verse 12, my little children um, is best, from the Greek, is best defined as my darlings those who I care about, beloved. Do you see the the shift in John's character from a son of thunder to someone who is compassionate and loving and caring? He says, beloved, my little darlings, you next generation. Now, we're going to talk about intergenerational worship. And I'm looking out here right now, and I see younger families, and I see some of our senior saints, and praise God for that. Right before the service, in fact, uh, Bryson, Bryson, right? I said that, and then I was like, that's not the right name, but it is. Bryson and I were talking because he came and visited Bethel a few weeks back, and he's been here plugging in, and we were talking about how necessary it is for us younger people to have senior adults, men and women, pouring into our lives with wisdom. We're going to talk about intergenerational worship. It's a glorious biblical mandate. It's transformative for the church. And it will be transformative for First Baptist Church. And it makes us become a body of believers where godly wisdom both grows and thrives. That is our desire. So many churches try to do one thing or the other, right? They try to be relevant to a younger generation, neglecting senior adults. The other side of that is that some churches try to become a comfortable place for us to die. And I don't mean just um, die because of old age. I mean die a slow death of atrophy, of just becoming complacent where the gospel tells us that we need to be intergenerational in our worship. That's what John says here in verses 12 through 14. Would you look there and read with me? He says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for for His name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you, are, you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. God, once again, we come before you. We are excited for what you are doing. God, I pray that you would speak through me your words to your people. Father, we pray that we would be a place of godly wisdom where it would grow and thrive. That we would not cling to our preferences. That we would not strive for our own desires. But instead, Father, that we would strive after the cross. And we would strive after your will and your way in every aspect of our life. No matter where we stepped into this room this morning, let us take one step closer to Jesus. Mold us and make us into his image. Let us be men and women who passionately pursue after him. It's in Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen. You see how John here in these few verses, he's one, repetitive, but two, he makes sure to touch on intergenerational worship. Right? He says, you, my darlings, my little children, you young men, and you fathers. He's touching on all generations, and he says some things that are very telling. He says these things, I am writing this to you. I am actually scratching this down. I am, I am making this known, is what that means. I'm writing this to you. Well, what is he writing? Well, he's writing what you studied last week. If you hate your brother, you do not have the love of Christ. A new commandment I give you. It's sort of like the old commandment that you had from the beginning and the old commandment that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He says, I'm writing all of this to you so that you may know, little children, that you may know your sins are forgiven. Remember verse 1 of chapter 2? Because you have an advocate in Jesus Christ. He continues to say that. He says, you're forgiven for His name's sake. There's something about that name. The name of Jesus for His name's sake. Philippians chapter 2. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on the earth, above the earth, below the earth to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. At His name. And so we are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. And so He's just reminding us, Hey, your sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and an almost four-year-old. One of my greatest privileges this side of heaven is the opportunity to have conversations with my children Sharing the love of Christ with them. Telling them that, yeah, you you screwed up. You're a messed up, good for nothing lousy sinner, buddy. But it's okay, so am I. And your sins are forgiven. How many of us, because of the busyness of our lives, because because of getting distracted by the other things, the peripheral stuff, because there's good football on TV... Or because there's more to grow in the garden. And by the way, those are all things I get distracted by. Neglect the necessity of telling our little children, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He then continues and says, hey, but but fathers, don't forget, you've known him who is from the beginning. You've known God. It's your responsibility then if you know God To make him known. Right? And so he says, because you know him who is from the beginning. He says, and and lest we not forget those who are in between. And and I'm not going to draw that line. I would dare not do that in someone else's church. You decide if you're a young man or an older man or a child. I'm not going to do that. He says, you young men, you have overcome the evil one. So so he says, children, fathers, young men. And then he gives kind of three different distinctions. He says, fathers, you've known this for quite a while. Young men, you have the strength to overcome the sin and the temptation in your life. You have overcome the evil one. Fathers, you've known him forever from the beginning. Young men, you have the strength to overcome the evil one. Little children, my darlings, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Do you see how all three of those things become necessary? And let me just say all three of those things are necessary at First Baptist Church in Alamogordo. We need the fathers to tell the young children, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. We need the fathers to impart wisdom onto us. We need the young men to stand up and overcome the evil one. You might be saying, you know what? I've been doing this a long time. I've been coming to church for a long time. I'm tired. I don't have the energy to go to Orange, Texas and work in that loud, sweaty, hot trailer. Well, we'll call Kyle a young man for today. All right? That young man can go and use his strength, his gift, his talents and abilities. And you older generation, you senior saints who might not be able to do that, you can pray for him. You can lift him up. You can let it be known that his work is not going unnoticed. And right now, so many children here in the sanctuary and and throughout this church need to just hear, Jesus loves me. Jesus made me. Jesus knows me. Jesus wants to know me more. How simple of a message. Like, I know my four-year-old Isaiah has the attention span of a squirrel. Uh, I know that that I need to continue to, to remind him of a few things, but I can't give him deep doctrinal truths of Jesus Christ, right? I can't really go into the doctrine of the Trinity, but I can tell him, hey, buddy, and I try to do this every night. Hey, do you know Jesus loves you? Do you know Jesus made you? Do you know Jesus thinks about you? That's probably enough to tell him right now. And build that foundation. So there's these three mandates to fathers, to children, and to young men. And then John repeats himself again. He says, and so after he says, And young men, because you have overcome the evil one, And then he says in the second part of verse 13, he says, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the Word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Again, he repeats himself. And as a parent, I always tell my kids, if I repeat myself, it's because it's important. If I repeat myself, it's because it's important. If it's important, I might repeat myself, because I repeat myself because it's important. You ever feel like that, parents? You don't just say, "Don't run in the street." You don't just say it once. No. You might say it again and again and again, and my kids went outside to play basketball yesterday afternoon, running in our front driveway, and I said, "Do not run after that ball into the street." And Josiah, my nine-year-old, says, I know, Dad. I know. You've told me that before. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you again. I will probably tell you again every time you go out front. I will tell you again because it's important. And so John is making a distinguishing uh, remark here. He's repeating himself because it's important. Now... We can think of this in two ways, because I don't want to fool ourselves in thinking that this is just generational. We can think of this in another way. We can think of it as spiritual maturity, right? Like those who are advanced in their spiritual maturity, make sure to impart your wisdom. And those of you who are still striving and struggling, know that you can overcome the evil one. And those of you who are brand new baby believers, praise God for you, just know God loves you. He knows you. He made you. He thinks about you. Because I, I don't want to think that if you're older, you are more firm in your knowledge and, and foundational faith than if you were younger. That's just not the way it works. We know that many in here who are older might still be a baby Christian the state of New Mexico finds itself at about 90 to 95% lost. That lostness crosses all generations, which means not only our young people where we kind of think of evangelism, we don't need to just reach out to our young people, but we need to reach out to our senior adults because that percentage stays true for them as well. But we need to know that spiritual maturity exists within this uh, spectrum as well. So if you are spiritually found, founded and you are spiritually mature, you need to know that since you know the, older, the, the one who is from the beginning, since you know the Father, then impart that wisdom into to, uh, baby believers. If you are a baby believer, start stepping and growing and growing your faith, right? Now, I want us to just kind of take this one step more practically. Because we want to be a place where godly wisdom both grows and thrives. We want to be a body of believers in which this happens. Young men and women who are about my age with young kids, you know what I'm about to say is true. I have a nine-year-old boy. I've never had a ten-year-old boy. And March 3rd of 2018, I will have a ten-year-old boy. I've never done that before. I have a seven-year-old girl on March 26. Just make sure I have that right. March 26 of 2018, I will have an eight-year-old girl. I've never had an eight-year-old girl before. And you know what? Having a 10-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl terrifies me. And it terrifies me because I've never been there before. Raise your hand if you've ever had a 10-year-old boy. Raise your hand if you've ever had an eight-year-old girl. Do you think that there might be something with you who have your hands up you can maybe share with me? Maybe something you could do to help me? And and, and that's just an example. That's just kind of of the the outer spectrum of this example. There's so much that I have yet to learn. And I long for godly wisdom like Pastor Billy Tucker gives me. Pastor Kyle and I were talking, we were having coffee up at Plateau, and we were talking about our state executive director, Dr. Bunce, and we said, it's so great to have a guy who loves pastors in New Mexico. It's so great to have a guy who invests and loves young pastors. And he says, you know, I've been there, I kind of know what you're going through, here are some landmines to avoid, here are some pitfalls to avoid, or just to encourage us, because... In a lot of cases, Kyle and I are in the same boat. We've never done what we're currently doing. And some of you have. Some of you have been there. You've done that. I had the opportunity to talk to Chuck this morning. It's great to see him after 20 plus years of ministry, being able to continue to serve here at First Baptist and to invest into Pastor Kyle. I know Kyle covets that. It was great this morning as I was sitting here praying and getting ready to see Gary Meisner walk in. Uh, Served when I first got here to New Mexico with me. Pastor Bart. Let me tell you as a young pastor, I long for people like you to invest into me. Kyle longs for people like you to invest into him. You young families long for adults who have been there and done that to invest into you. You see, we need to be a place of desperate need of reconciliation between us and God and us and our fellow man. Even within this church and this family in this moment, we desperately need the Prince of Peace to invade our relationships and create a relational culture where wisdom grows and thrives. You look at Paul's relationships. The Apostle Paul, he always had somebody he was writing to. He always had the Timothy in his life. I love the book of Philippians. And there's this portion in the book of Philippians. Beautiful uh, uh, love letter to the church. And we read it and we say, Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, do not worry about anything but cast your anxieties upon the Lord. And those are great coffee cup verses. Right? But then there's this portion in the middle where he's reminding us of all these people he knows. He's like, hey, Lydia... Remember the Philippian jailer? And he's naming all these people and he's talking about relationships that he had. We need to have those kind of relationships here within First Baptist, here within the body of Christ. We need to be a place where wisdom grows and allows us to discern how to make decisions and solve problems and meet needs. We need spiritual wisdom. Let me give you three examples of where we need spiritual wisdom. Because the Bible... Let me not be misunderstood on this. The Bible is God speaking to us. God revealing himself in a special revelation. But the Bible doesn't spell out for us ways to deal with 95% of our day-to-day activities. Yes, we can go to the Bible for specific um, guidelines. But sometimes what we need is we need a relationship with other believers where godly wisdom can grow. Like our personal priorities. What do you do with your day-to-day activities? What do you do with your time? How do we spend our time wisely? Do we, how much time do we allocate to working and eating, sleeping and reading and studying and exercise, entertainment, praying, evangelism? How much time do we do that? How, do we, how much time do we spend with our conversations? There's no clear guideline in Scripture to give us how many minutes a day we're supposed to spend doing that. Or even in a season of our life. So how do we decide? A lot of times if you're like me, we just do it. I just go by the seat of my pants and I just do things. Sometimes I'm reading. Sometimes I'm studying. Sometimes I'm wasting my time. Sometimes I'm sleeping too much. And sometimes I'm not sleeping enough. I just kind of go through life and I just do it. Which means I better be wise about that time. Because if I put zero effort into something that is extremely important, that's not good. And if I spend no time or an abundance of time on something of zero importance, that's not good either. See, I, I need to have a relationship with somebody who can give me godly wisdom that maybe help gi- uh, give me advice on how to spend my time, my personal priorities. What about my parenting? I would guess around 95% of my daily decisions in parenting are not laid out in Scripture. Parents don't have the luxury of postponing how we think a child should be reared. It's happening, and it's happening right now. And sometimes, most of the time, my parenting is spontaneous. Do they deserve a spanking? Do they deserve forgiveness? Do they need discipline in this moment, or do they need grace? What do you do? No, I'm serious. What do you do? Help, please. The best you can. you can. You just seem to do what's best in the moment. And if you aren't seeking wisdom or even pursuing it on a relational basis from the church, these decisions are just made, and sometimes the consequences are dire. So we need to seek godly wisdom on our personal priorities, our parenting. And because I'm a Baptist, I wanted to figure out how to make alliteration, right? So politics. Now, don't don't run away. I don't mean the supercharged, emotional, political decision-making on how and why we should vote. I mean this how do we think of ourselves as a citizen decisively of heaven and not just an American? How do we live on this earth when our life is hidden with God? When you're an alien and an exile on the earth, but biblically called to submit to the powers in place, how do we do that? How are we biblically called to love our neighbors and our enemies? We're biblically called to make a living and subdue the earth. How are we in the world, but not of the world? I don't know how to do all of those things at any given moment. And and I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. I'm a nerd. I love to read history. And you know what's true about history? It repeats itself. And so a lot of these things that we're going through currently, in our current events, if we really looked at them, there's nothing new under the sun. And so what I need, instead of getting overwhelmed and distracted by Fox News or CNN or whatever it may be, social media or whatever else it may be, what I need is I need godly men and women to pour into my life to figure out how my personal politics should be shaped so that all good things are not bad. And this is why wisdom is important and it's urgent and it's all-encompassing, because I am a citizen of heaven. I'm a foreigner here on earth. And so instead of getting distracted by all of those things, what well, we need to be a place, we need to be is a place where godly wisdom grows and thrives. We need to be a body of believers where we're investing into each other. Now let me say this. That means a couple things. It means young people in this room right now, physically young people, seek godly wisdom. Find someone who can invest into you. If you're a young married couple, find a married couple that's survived and thrived. Just recently, I've had two conversations with young men who are fairly new in their marriages. Who won't be married in a year if they don't turn their lives around and turn their marriages around. And I would dare say that that is the truth and the reality here at First Baptist as well. So find godly wisdom. Find people to invest into you. Find a mentor. A godly man to invest into you. A father to be your, father, your spiritual father as you are their little child, their little darling, their beloved. If you are an older person, can you help us out? Can you help us out? Can you invest into us? Can you make time in your schedule to say, I value the future of First Baptist Church more than my future at First Baptist Church. I dare say this, that in 20 years, this church will look very, very different. It'll look different for a number of reasons. It'll look different because some of us will no longer be here and we'll be worshiping in heaven. Some of us will no longer be here because the government has moved us on. But how do we invest into the community of Alamogordo and into First Baptist Church so that in 20 years, what we're fighting about and squabbling about now won't even matter? The things that we're worried about now don't matter for 10 minutes sometimes. Nonetheless, 10 days. Nonetheless, 10 months. 10 years. And most importantly, they don't matter for 10 billion years. And yet we will be finding ourselves as citizens of heaven, worshiping 10 billion years from now. And what we do matters. And so, young people, find a mentor. Find somebody who can impart godly wisdom into your life. Young couples, find a mentor couple. Older adults, our senior saints, thank you so much for your service. Can you invest into us? Can I ask something else? And I can say this because next week I get to go back to Bethel. (laughs) Senior adults, you need to let go. You need to let go. Because I'll probably say this. 20 years ago, when Chuck first became a pastor, he didn't know how to pastor like he does now. And your deacons didn't know how to deek And your Sunday school teachers didn't know how to teach. And so this is something that we grow up in. This is something we learn. The methods may change. As Chuck was saying, he doesn't know how to go on those internets and figure out how to give money inter- internetically. The method just changed. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's probably a good thing, right? It's a good thing. And so because the method has changed, sometimes we don't like that. And so we cling desperately to our vision for First Baptist Church. We cling desperately to the way that things used to be, the good old days. Good old days ended in Genesis chapter 3, y'all. The good old days are gone. And and if we can't see that the best days of First Baptist Church are in front of us, and we keep pining for the good old days, then what are we doing here? So, in order for us to lead, we need to be allowed to lead. So often we hear... Well, if the young people would just stand up, if the young people would step up, if the young people would serve, and I'll tell you, as somebody who is still on the youngest side, I'm feeling every day of my 34 years, but on the youngest side, a lot of times we don't lead because we haven't been allowed to lead. Or we've been told how to lead. So, so this is how godly wisdom works, it's a give and a take, right? And so I am praying for First Baptist, and I am praying for Kyle. Because I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. But I'm excited. Because I'm looking out here. And, and here's this sermon that lays itself out. For godly intergenerational worship. And I'm looking out here. And what I see is intergenerational worship. But what I want to see. Is a relational based intergenerational worship. Where godly wisdom Is both imparted and given. And it grows and it thrives. Most importantly, we need to know that this isn't accidental. It's intentional. It's intentional. Wisdom is this. John Piper defined it like this. And I really like the way he says this. And I'm going to read it a couple times because if you know anything about John Piper, you have to read a lot of his stuff a couple times. So, Wisdom is this, the ability of the soul to discern or perceive God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, gospel-fashion, people-helping ways to live with the knowledge that you have. That's good stuff. And I'm going to repeat myself because it's important. Wisdom is this, the ability of the soul to discern or perceive God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, gospel-fashioned, people-helping ways to live with the knowledge that you have. You see, there's intention behind this. There's intention behind this. I love that John here, in his compassion toward the generations and to spiritual maturity, makes sure to point out that the most important thing that our wisdom needs to point towards, is Jesus Christ and salvation in and through Him and Him alone. He continues to point back to Jesus, at the name of Jesus, the advocate we have in Jesus, that our sins are forgiven. And if all we do is make First Baptist a comfortable place, and make Alamogordo a comfortable place, then all we're doing is making it a more comfortable vessel to enter hell in. And so John makes sure to point out that the most important thing we can use our wisdom for is the gospel advancing into the community we find ourselves in. Evangelism. Sharing the good news. Song called Because He Lives. Love that song. Old hymn. Let let me read to you The sometimes neglected second verse. For some of you who have children, younger children, this verse spoke to me when my second child was born. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. Isn't that true, parents? I remember looking at, at my children and being moved to tears. Because of the beauty that I was able to hold in my hands. And because of the overwhelming weight of responsibility. Some of you older adults, do you remember that? Do you remember being completely overwhelmed by the greatest earthly responsibility that you could possibly have? And he says, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance that this child can face uncertain days just because He lives. Let's pray. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I I don't know you personally, and I don't know uh, where you stand in your relationship with Christ. But let me just tell you this. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would you make that right this morning? Would you be able to know for sure without a shadow of a doubt the calm assurance that you can face the uncertain days ahead because he lives. Do you know that your sins are truly forgiven because of the advocate you have in Jesus Christ, the propitiation that he gives us, the death of the, on the cross of Calvary? Do you know that? If you don't know that for sure, then here in a couple minutes we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response. Myself and Chuck will be up here at the front. We would love to talk to you more about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you do find yourself more spiritually mature. Maybe you're the young man or the father in this illustration. What is it that you're clinging to? What is it that you have to offer? How can you impart godly wisdom into the next generation in a gospel-advancing, God-glorifying way? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the work you're doing here at First Baptist, the work you're doing at Bethel, the work you're doing in Alamogordo. God, we thank you that you're a God who is alive. You're a God who is still in the saving business. You're a God who is near to those who cry out to you. And so as a church and as a body of believers, as an association, as a network of Christians here in Alamogordo, we cry out to you on behalf of this city. We know that you are near. We know that you're in a life-changing. You're a life-changing God. Father, help us respond to the words that you spoke today through your word, through your Apostle John. Father, we pray that we would be men and women who pursue after you. Change us. Help us respond. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.